Hello, this is Examiner Radio, the weekly radio show and podcast that covers news, politics, and all things Halifax. I'm Tim Bousquet, editor of the Halifax Examiner, which is available online at halifaxexaminer.ca. In the studio with me today is co-host Tara Tyer. Hello. It's good to uh, see you again. Oh, and and then we have Russ in Toronto. Hi, Russ. Hey, folks. How are things? Great. You've been busy. You've both been busy. Tara, you've been busy with uh, the Canadian Association of Journalists Conference. Yeah, this was uh, this just past weekend in uh, Ottawa. How, so, how was that? It was really good, considering everything that's been happening in the industry for the last year, well, even before that, and uh, it was good just to see you know a bunch of people who are still really committed to journalism and, and want to talk about every aspect of it. Anyone local do anything important? Well... It's a good thing you asked. It was, you know, the annual awards ceremony is always, always a big thing, right? Because um, getting a CAJ award is a big deal yeah. in this country. And uh, the community college, right? Aaron Moore's class, right? Their uh, project called Untitled. Um, For, former Examiner Radio guest Aaron Moore and her students. And and deservedly so. They won an uh, award with the best uh, student project. That's so, outstanding. Yeah, it was great. You know, unfortunately, she wasn't there, but she sent one of her students there, Ed Halverson, so he picked it up. Oh, and yeah. uh, and it was great. It was so great because we actually had two Nova Scotia finalists. So one of the King students, Alex Kwan, was nominated. So, you know, I actually was, you know, really pleased to see the community college because that, that project that they did, yeah. you know, we're talking about impact. And if journalism is all about impact and, and making change, then that project really, really, uh, really hit the ball. I was just going to say, so that was the the story untitled. That was the story about how generations of North Preston residents still don't have land titles to the, to, to the land they've been living on for generations. And immediately after that story came out, it started creating reverberations, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the political sphere. And, you know, suddenly the city and the province are, are, are looking into it. So, I mean, as you said, Tara, that's, that's journalism that, that gets results. So that's, that's what we do. Aaron even mentioned this, which is, this is ongoing. Yeah. There, there I talk with the class uh, every year, and uh, their project this year is to follow up on. So, yeah, they're not letting it die. I, I guess we should get on with this show. This is episode number 110, 110 of Examiner Radio. And as always, you can listen to the show on CKDU 88.1 FM in Halifax on Fridays at 4.30 or via their website at uh, www.ckdu.ca. And you can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, podcast.com or any other place you find podcasts and have each new episode automatically delivered to your device of choice. Just search for Halifax Examiner in that platform search engine and it's going to be the first result. We ask you to take a moment to rate and review the show because it'll help other potential listeners track us down. The McNeil government finally and somewhat clumsily called an election over the over last weekend. And we're going to speak with two women who are working to get out the vote. That's uh, Jackie Barkhouse and Jenna 
Brookfield, who are an organizer and a speaker, respectively, at the Nova Scotia Women Vote Rally uh, next Saturday, which is May 13th in downtown Halifax. And we'll speak to them in a bit with uh, more details about that. First, though, let's do the Week in Review. What do you got? Okay, well, just to, uh, as we try to do every every episode, make a note that today is Friday, May 5th, and it is day 469 of the strike at the Chronicle Herald. I was speaking with one of the striking reporters just yesterday who said that uh, it sounds like they may be going back to the bargaining table. I'm going to interrupt you there. I was yes. speaking with one of the people today, and they are thinking that uh, talks are breaking down. Already? Yes. Yeah. Any surprise? Not for me. Nope. As, as always, you know, uh, we just passed May Day, so uh, solidarity to, uh, uh, to our fellow journalists who are out on the picket line. I think this is pretty much, the Week in Review is going to be basically all election-related. Do we want to talk a little bit about the ham-handed way that the government announced this election date? Well, I I don't know, do we? Uh, <laughs> just uh, to give a quick background there, it's, um, you know, it kind of, the liberals who are the government updated their website apparently in a public way, and people were watching their website, uh, were watching it for uh, cues of an election call. And before the election was actually called, they had put up some advertising on the site naming May May 30th as the election day. And not only that, the advertising was horribly misspelled. Uh, the word building was uh, was B-U-L-B, uh, missing that first I there. Bolding. Yeah. So um, that was somewhat embarrassing. And the predictable jokes about cutting education budgets maybe could have resolved that or whatever. Or outsource, outsourcing their um, the printing of their promotional material to the Chronicle Herald. <laughs> I didn't hear that one, but yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, but uh, on Sunday, the call came through. Let's talk about the strange, strange tale of Andrew Younger, a former liberal cabinet minister. He was the minister of energy, is that right? Yes. And uh, now uh, has been sitting for most of the last two years as an independent. Uh, He announced this past Wednesday that he was withdrawing from the race in Dartmouth East. But before we get into why, can we give the listeners a little bit of background info about Younger's political career over the last couple of years? You want me to handle that, Tara? Yeah, go ahead. Mm. Well, Younger is a is a large personality. I've known him for, gosh, uh, 12 years maybe. He won a by-election to the Halifax City Council, got reelected, and then uh, moved on to provincial politics and um, became uh, uh, one of the bright lights of the Liberal Party. He was a minister. He's smart and has a self-certainty that uh, is necessary to go places in politics. He got caught up in sort of a personal circumstance, and, you know, it was it was messy. He ha- had some sort of relationship um, with a, a younger uh, law student. She was a uh, party staffer. And, and yep. party staffer. Yeah. Um, we don't know all the details. There, were, there was some sort of um, altercation or, or whatever, but we didn't know about it until 
some months later, uh, Younger as energy minister was on the fracking file for the province. And as they were doing their review, some deranged citizen out there in the world started sending Younger hate mail and death threats uh, to the extent that uh, the police were called in. And as a result of that, the police started going through other communications to and from Younger, uh, apparently, and uh, discovered that this alleged assault from this law student upon him and charged her. Younger was called in as to testify and used his privilege as a sitting MLA uh, not to show up at court, uh, which became very controversial very quick and this led to eventually him having the falling out with the liberal party and him being kicked out of the party and so he's been running as an independent up until well un- until the election was called obviously there are no uh, MLAs after the election is called and suddenly there was another court document uh, which I have not looked at yet because I haven't had time to get down to the courthouse and look at it but uh uh, reportedly reveals um, situations involving his wife and he and his health issues. I don't know what those are, so I can't speak intelligently about them. But in the wake of this, uh, Younger abruptly withdrew from the campaign and has ended his political career, at least for now. It was an emergency protection order. Yes. That is, is reported and... Uh and what, what what exactly what exactly is an emergency protection order, Tara? It is put in place to protect victims of domestic violence. So it's issued by Justice of Peace under the uh, Domestic Violence Intervention Act, and it is designed to, for example, this is just an example, to remove someone from a home or yeah. give temporary custody to of a child to a victim, for example. Okay. Now, Younger yeah. has claimed that. Uh, his wife followed this document by mistake in order to get custody of the children while he was dealing with other issues. Who knows? We don't know. It's out there. You know, we're in this murky world where how much of someone's personal life should we really pry into? And, uh, you know, he's resigned. Do we just let it go? Is there a reason to pursue this? I'm not sure. What do you think, Ter? Well, you know, if you're voting for an apple, you want to know that you're getting an apple. Right in this case, when all Nova Scotia, they're the ones who um, broke the story, and um, Beeves running for election. Everyone wants to know what they're getting in a candidate. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is important information to have if you're voting for a candidate. Yeah, I agree. If if you're a, if you're a if you're a public figure, and it involves the law, then I think the public has the right to know. Otherwise, I don't care who you're sleeping with. I don't care what's going on behind closed doors. If it's between consenting people, then it's none of our business. But as soon as the law is involved, then, yeah, I think uh, I think it's fair. There, there's this strange element to this where it clearly, regardless of what the recent allegations are or what the events are, Younger is sort of a Shakespearean kind of character. He uh, is the author of his own demise, if you will, uh, his ego and has created the situations that he finds himself in with that context i mean i'm not trying to give him a pass on anything any decisions he's made but at least once and maybe twice given his failures he seems to have in the aftermath of those failures 
taken steps that have protected the people around him. And I find that incredibly interesting. He could have testified in that trial, you know? It would have ruined a young woman's legal career, but he didn't. And for that, he caught all sorts of grief. But looked at from one perspective anyway, that was the right thing to do. I don't know that it was ultimately the right thing to do, but just from that one narrow perspective, it was the right thing to do. So, Tim, do you think he is going to jump back into politics at some point? Knowing him as I do, I I think he's a very large character and, as I say, has a very strong sense of himself. After being kicked out of the, the Liberal Party, he um, he played it as well as it can be pay, played. I guess I gotta give him that. He uh, he played the long game. He uh, kind of let the scandals get lost in political memory down the memory hole as he just quietly and patiently put out his policy statements, updated his blogs, called reporters to give his perspective on things, played it as well as he could. And and I've never seen uh, someone do it so well, having been kicked out of a party. And I think he had a good chance of winning. So given that context, um, it would not surprise me if next election he comes back. Okay, so next up we have current city councilor and conservative candidate, Matt Whitman. He stirred up some ire this week by saying he has no intention of taking a leave of absence from his civic duties as as city councilor while he campaigns as a hopeful future MLA. A number of people, um, journalists, pundits, uh, even some of his fellow councilors have criticized this decision, though Whitman himself seems to wear it as some sort of a, a badge of honor. Yeah. What do we think about that? Um, I don't know. If you're a, a, well, the MLAs, there are no MLAs, right? Once an election is called, there's no one sitting in the legislature. I don't know if they still get their salary or not. Do you know that? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's that. He says, well, they're still an MLA. No, he's, he's wrong. They're not an MLA. In the past, Darren Fisher, who is a, a liberal MP now, he was a Halifax City Councilor, and he... Uh, got a leave of absence from council, unpaid leave of absence to run federally. Uh, So that's the most recent parallel we have. If you're a provincial employee, if you're just some, you know, office person somewhere or part of the road crew and you want to run to be an MLA, you have to take a leave of absence from your job. So I think his, uh, I think he's just wrong about this. I think he should have taken taken off. I think something that surprises me here is that that the city has no policies or rules against councillors running for other offices. Yeah, there's no policy that says that you have to um, uh, stop being a a councillor, although a few years ago there was a bus driver who had to leave her job to run for city council. And someone else, I'm, I'm forgetting, there was another municipal employee who also had to leave her job in order to run for council, and both of those were unsuccessful. But they could not hold their job as a city worker and run for council. So there is that law, but no law about city councilors running for other offices. Yeah. I mean, oh. there is a difference. Sure. Yeah. You know, councilors get paid a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, it's easier for a counselor pulling down 82000 a year to take four weeks off unpaid than it is for a, a bus driver or, or someone cleaning the parks Sure, to take off four weeks. Finally, let's, uh, let me just ask, can somebody explain to me what determines a meaningful riding? 
<sighs> every every woman everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you wanna- I heard about this story, and this is, we're talking about Kylie Harris here, by hearing well, f- from it from Rona Ambrose. And I can't remember the last time Rona Ambrose, right, federal conservative leader, actually said anything about Nova Scotia. Uh-huh. <laughs> anything. And this was it. So this is like how I got. I heard about this. There's a couple levels on this. First is, uh, I don't know how it became in the news, but uh, suddenly the issue of how many women candidates each party had uh, became an issue. And the premier, who was criticized because the liberals are don't have as many as, as uh, uh, anywhere close to what the NDP has, says, well, we, we have, and he's right about this, we have lots of, of women cabinet ministers and you know we've appointed women to positions of power and we're only running women in meaningful writings you know there's so much to say about that uh what's a meaningless writing apparently is one you think you can't win but uh that's how candidates get trained right that's how politicians get trained you you run to lose and you you learn the process and mm-hmm. you, you, and then you, you, you run them in the next you, election you, yeah 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 uh and then in the wake of this you mentioned kylie Harris, he was the liberal staffer who had a, a domestic assault charge involving a woman and uh, pleaded guilty to it. This was a couple of years ago. And uh, kind of uh, forgot to tell the party or the premier. And when they found out about it, they fired him and then quietly hired him back for a researcher position on contract. And now he's a communications person for the campaign. Jacob Boone, the, the coast broke that news uh, on on Wednesday, and um, gosh, the optics aren't good. Yeah. I mean, I know these are actually two separate things, but you have to put them together. Yeah. You absolutely have to, because, you know, you've got, what, 12 of 51 women, liberal candidates running, 12 of 51. Yeah. I mean, come on, every woman said <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Right. And then the fact the director of communications, the spokesperson is someone who struck a woman in the face during a domestic dispute. Yeah, I was thinking it it surprised me that the number of candidates actually became as high profile of an issue as it was. I thought, oh, this is probably just an opposition party, you know, tossing this out there and it'll go away. But then with the Kylie Harris becoming news, I don't think it's going away. I mean, we'll see, I guess. But uh, it's certainly, suddenly this issue no one was talking about on the campaign trail is suddenly an issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Jacob Boone got the best quote from uh, the sociology professor at Mount A, right? Ardith uh, Wynat? Yeah, I think she's, I'm been, she's been on the show, yes. Okay. I got to read this quote just because I smile every time I read it. Again, imagine the mic drop after this. So she's saying, you know, of course, right, you hire folks, people who have a criminal record, right? Because, they, you know, after they do their time. But here's the quote. But no, we should not give high-profile appointments to privileged and wealthy white men who abuse their partners and lie about it. Boom, mic drop. Mic drop. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, I think. Uh, why not? Pretty much. Yeah, she nailed it there. Listen, just before we go to break, I want to say kudos to the Halifax Examiner for, I believe, breaking the story. Yep. About the libel suit filed against National Post columnist Christy Blatchford. This does tie into a Halifax story 
regarding former Mount St. Vincent professor Michael Kidd and his allegedly inappropriate relationship with a student, uh, which, uh, you know, has, has been reported extensively. Blatchford wrote a column that, beyond being one-sided, which, I mean, is, is actually, I guess, a columnist's right, seemed to miss some of the basic tenets of journalism, like, number one, you have to offer the opportunity for the other side to respond, which Blatchford has admitted she did not make reasonable effort to reach out to the woman that kid is accused of this inappropriate relationship. So congratulations, Tim. That was a, uh, a great article. That was uh, our freelancer, Ryan Van Horn, brought that to me. Uh, he has uh, been working on and around that story for some time. And... Uh, <sighs> convinced uh her her name is tara mcpherson and she has gone public with her name for the first time although i think it's been reported elsewhere and um we got a copy of the actual um motion uh yeah there it is uh, you can find it on our site at halifaxexaminer.ca and not to plug my my other gig but uh that was that was the focus of this past Thursday's Canada Land Shortcuts. So we dig into the uh, uh, the allegations on the show. So I hope you give it a listen. Listen, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to speak with Jackie Barkhouse and Jenna Brookfield, an organizer and a speaker with uh, next week's Nova Scotia Women Vote Rally. You're listening to Examiner Radio. <laughs> back and i'm joined in the studio by jackie barkhouse and jenna brookfield who are helping to organize and speaking at uh, respectively a women's rally coming up next week uh, we'll get to that uh, but uh, before we get to the purpose of being here hello to both of you, Thank you. Uh, Hi. jackie you and i have known each other for for a decade at least yep. uh and the regular listeners will know that you are former counselor representing East Eden Passage yes. at, at HRM. Yes. Uh, just need to get this out of the way. How's it going? It's going very well. Thank you. And what are you up to nowadays? I've moved to a very rural environment in Nova Scotia. I live out at the uh, 100 Wild Islands on the eastern shore. So oh, great. I, yeah, so I live in a wild and rugged environment and spend most of my, my uh, days just trying to survive it. <laughs> I, I'm going to come back with a uh, question about council, but we'll, we'll wait for that. Uh, and Jenna, thank you for coming in. Thank uh, you for having me. It's nice to meet you. 
Likewise. The reason you're here, uh, the purpose of this talk, is this uh, women's rally coming up. Can you uh, give us the background on it? It's actually called the Nova Scotia Women Vote, and it's a follow-up to the Women's March on Washington, uh, Halifax, on January 21st. I was co-organizer of that event. Uh, Initially, I wanted to go to Washington for the event and then found out that there was no organizer here. So So you do it yourself then? Absolutely. Uh, It was important that we be represented in Halifax, and we had a lot of women that came out and a lot of of uh, their supporters and uh, families and friends. And it was a great event. And it was in reaction to the um, the new administration. The Trump elected, administration. Yes, yeah. um, in the United States. And it started a conversation. So when I left on January 21st after that event, all the way home I was thinking, you know, this can't be the end. This is just too important. And it's it's a new day and it is you know, the start of a new revolution for women. There were hundreds of thousands of people in, in Washington, D.C., yes. and and millions across uh, not just the United States, but uh, Canada and the Absolutely. rest of the world. Absolutely, Antarctica, uh, everywhere. The strength of that movement, I was going to say was, but is, remarkable, and it's still going on elsewhere. So this is not just a, I mean, uh, this is obviously a Halifax-specific event, but these women's marches and rallies are are ongoing. Yes, they are ongoing in the United States and throughout the rest of the world. So this is just a carry, you know, a carry through of of what began on January 21st. Jenna, you're speaking. Yes, uh, yes, I am. What will you, what will you talk about? Well, uh, one of the things I really want to talk about is the need for us all to become more engaged, both in uh, in terms of representation in politics and more engaged in in uh, the the issues with an election campaign coming up. Um, I think the, uh, the the rally in Washington and around the world really showed how diverse the women's movement can be and how uh, how much power it can have when it's mobilized. And I think that's one of the themes we really want to uh, continue to run with here at the rally this week. Uh, next week, I'm sorry, as um, you know, we've got a, a very diverse group of speakers. Uh, we want to show how diverse the women's movement can be. But despite all of our differences, we have so much more in common. And yeah. quite often, politics is used to, uh, to, to divide us, pit one group against another to gain the votes of, uh, of one. And I, I think that's a theme we want to try to, uh, try to overcome. You have built this as a nonpartisan rally. But it's impossible to see it without the context of the the upcoming provincial election. How are you approaching that in terms of what message do you want to get out to, to people who attend and to people watching from the outside? The thing that we really want to focus on is that we want to encourage women to vote, to understand and appreciate the significance and importance of a vote. And when we started talking about it, it really was to help form a discussion that would be beneficial to new Canadians, to new young voters, and to women that have traditionally voted the way their family or their husbands or partners have voted, so that we could really encourage women to to hear about the issues, to start a conversation in their own homes about the issues, and so that when candidates actually arrived on doorsteps, you weren't just accepting the information that that person wanted to give you, that you actually had 
a bit of a toolkit based on the conversation at the rally to start a discussion with the candidate and uh-huh. to to seek some answers. And when we do that, I think it's much easier to hold people accountable to what they actually do promise and, and uh, say are their priorities. Uh, Jenna, before we came into the studio, you were talking about asking candidates tough questions. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate? elaborate on that a bit? Certainly. I, I think one thing that's really missing in our uh, political environment these days is, is engagement. We let the politicians shape for us what the nature of the discussion is going to be. They may want to talk about tax cuts or the construction of a new hospital or a, a lack of doctors. And I don't mean to minimize the importance of those issues, but that doesn't make them any uh, the issues that we care about, all of us, any less important. Uh, as, as a simple example, a workplace health and safety is something mm-hmm. that I'm personally very passionate about. So when a candidate it shows up at my door, that's the kind of questions I'm, I'm asking them about. I make them go off script. They want to stick to their, their stump speech, but we, I think we, as, as women, we all need to identify what matters to us, what, how we'd like to see our values reflected in society, and, and ask the candidates about those things, whether it's workplace health and safety for me, it could be uh, uh, expanded maternity leave benefits, it could be any issue that an individual is passionate about. So, so have the candidates knocked on your door, and have you taken them off script? I've, I've had two candidates uh, visit me so far. Uh-huh. I, I have to give them both credit. Even though they neither of them knew much about workplace health and safety, they uh, they tried to listen to me and let me uh, engage with them and inform them a little bit on why I thought it was important. I think... Uh, Largely, it, it may, I hope I opened their eyes a little uh-huh. bit. Uh, I don't think either one of them recognized how old some of that legislation is that we currently have and how far we are behind other jurisdictions. And I, I only use that as, as an example. Yeah. That's not uh, the issue everybody's passionate about. But I think we have to stop being uh, spoon-fed our politics, and we need uh, we need to set the nature of the discussion ourselves. Well, that's, that's good advice for everyone. There's uh, no shame in educating a politician. <laughs> says the former politician. <laughs> Uh, Let me just jump in if people are tuning in right now. I'm speaking with Jackie Barkhouse and Jenna Brookfield, who are the organizer and a speaker, respectively, for the upcoming uh, women's rally. There's an actual word title for this. What was it? Nova Scotia Women Vote. Okay. On uh, uh, Saturday, May 13th. At at Halifax Grand Parade at 1 p.m. Okay. And we'll we'll reiterate that uh, time and place on our website. So uh, if you're forget you can go there there is an upcoming provincial election and one of the uh kind of surprising things surprising to me anyway this week is all of a sudden the issue of how many women candidates each party has and i guess how they um how they regard those candidates has become an issue sort of at least in the press you have any thoughts on that I find it very interesting because when I was at City Hall, there were more women than there are, than there are now. And so uh, I just find it all very interesting that now that we're into an election, it's become an issue. Uh, you know, it's a conversation that needs to take place without it being at this point in time, because the candidates, the candidates are the candidates now. So, yeah. you know, but it is the start of a conversation, and it comes up every now and then, and, yeah. you know, people are patted on the back a little bit, and yes, we'll look after you. But, you know, we have to be representative of, of the population, and, and that's not just women, so. I told you I was going to ask you something about council, but I think this kind of falls into this whole discussion. I had argued when council was considering making itself smaller and therefore the districts larger that 
that it would result. I predicted fewer women on council, and that's yes. a, a, exactly what happened. Yes. So there are structural and process ways of including not just women, but people yep. of color. I mean, everyone in the politics. Uh, but we're not really seeing the parties pursue that in a major way, talking about training candidates, uh, putting resources in place for mm-hmm. them, and that sort of thing. You know, it comes up every now and then a little bit, and it's usually in the midst of an election when people start to bring it up. But, you know, it's part of a larger conversation. And I think that, you know, it needs to be a conversation that's thoughtful. And so, you know, maybe after the election, organizations such as ours, you know, this is where these things start. And women push for for politicians to focus on things that are, are important. So, you know, maybe this will will get more attention. But for me, it's a larger it's a larger conversation. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. Do do we say, you know, that well we should elect the best candidate regardless or but you know, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that the representatives we have are representative of the population. So it's a bigger conversation. I think it's a shame that it's happening at this point in time. Jenna, you're going to speak at the event as we as we've discussed. What do you want the attendees to come away with? Um, what I'd like them to come away with is uh, is first uh, an appreciation of how diverse our community is as women. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a transgender woman myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have uh, have women speaking that represent uh, other subsets of yes. of the women's movement. Would like them to appreciate how diverse a community we are, but fundamentally how much we have in common. The struggle for equality in every facet of of life is one that's political in nature and one that can only be fully achieved through uh, through political means. Whether that's uh, equality in the workplace, uh, equality in representation within our, uh, our houses of assembly and legislatures, or equality in any other facet of society. To achieve that, we need to be engaged. We need to have the politicians talking about the things that are important to us. And to tie this into the last thread of the conversation, I think um, representation starts with engagement. If we get more pe- more women engaged in politics, passionate about politics, I think maybe they, they, they will inspire some people who could see a future for themselves in politics. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be uh, encouraging the, uh, the leaders of tomorrow. We have seen uh, on a federal level a... Uh, a gender balance in a cabinet for the first time. I think that's uh, that, that masks the fact that there are still disproportionately far more men in the House of Commons than, than there are women. But I, I think that is, uh, has initiated a bit of a discussion and opened some eyes into the uh, to the, the need to uh, work towards um, our, our political representatives actually being representative of the population that uh, that they're there to serve. And Jackie, are you expecting a, a response, a political response from the politicians? There's already been a political response That's from the politicians <laughs> uh, and candidates. I've been contacted by a number of people asking to uh, speak at the rally and have the opportunity to to share a message and they have been told no not at this time no, no politicians there allowed. will be no politicians speaking there will be no uh, no political candidates uh, speaking this is not what this is meant for there are other avenues they can take to share their message but this is our time to discuss what we believe the issues are and then we will tell them what the issues are 
<laughs> Very good. Let's let's leave it there. Thanks for coming in. I've been speaking with Jackie Barkhouse and Jenna Brookfield. Jackie is the organizer of Nova Scotia Women Vote, which is will be held on Saturday, May 13th at 1 p.m. at Grand Parade in downtown Halifax. And Jenna Brookfield will be one of many speakers. I will be out of town that day, so I won't be able to make it. But hopefully many of our listeners will be there. And thanks again for coming in. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. We'll return right after this. You're listening to Examiner Radio. That's a wrap for this week's Examiner Radio, the weekly radio show and podcast produced by the Halifax Examiner. I'm Tim Bousquet. I'm Tara Tayer. And I'm Russell Gregg. As always, we'd love to know what you think. If you have comments on what you've heard or story suggestions for future episodes, please send us an email to podcast at halifaxexaminer.ca. And thanks again to Mark Pinio from the University of King's College for taking this week's episode. Much obliged, Mark. Until next week, your phrase is meaningful writing. <laughs>